0: How
1: are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm just... Uh,
0: no coronavirus?
1: No, I don't have corona. I, I have something else. What do you have? Um, some sort of uh, bloating. No. <laughs> no, everything important in my body is swole. Well, my joints. <laughs> all my joints swell up. It was on this like, oh, uh, the steroid for an uh, injury that I suffered at a Bernie Sanders rally.
0: Are you joking? Nope. What was the injury that you suffered at a Bernie Sanders rally? It's
1: called bursitis. I started running around and I popped her agitated little pocket of fluid right here. Brutal. And then and then it swole and 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 encased my en- entire ankle with uh, massive swelling and pain. And then they gave me like an anti-inflammatory, which made my entire body swell oh. with fluid. <laughs> Perfect.
0: <laughs> that's exactly what an anti-inflammatory is supposed to do
1: you know the, the weird thing about prednisone is that it affects everybody differently like some people like actually go into like depressive states other people go into like tyrannical states like it, it can like change your behavior it's it just it's a weird thing it, you know you never know what it's going to do to you so
0: oh what an adventure
1: yeah but you know you went to mexico so you have some sort of southern vibe <sighs>
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And was whatever whatever the man who coughed next to me on the plane for six hours had, I'm pretty sure that's what I have. It's so disgusting. Like I literally like I feel like people who cough, like I think it should be illegal for them to get on the plane. Like, it's like you're like, you're just trapped in this like germ vehicle. Yeah, you can't go yeah. anywhere. Like, what are you supposed uh, to do? Somebody coughs for five hours, like not breathe. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess yeah. what, that's what those ma- masks are for. But still, like, it's like then you get food, and your food's yeah. sitting out there, and your your mimosas that you've made are sitting out there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's uh, a <laughs> corona lives for five for three hours in the air. <laughs> And, like, three days on steel surfaces. So it's pretty... Three
0: days on surfaces?
1: Robust, yeah. On steel surfaces.
0: Wow. Oh, on steel surfaces. Okay.
1: So, like, you know, bus poles, mm. you know. Okay. Railings, you know.
0: Ugh. Well, luckily, you couldn't pay me to get on the fucking bus. No? Oh, gross. Well,
1: it's Canada. It's free, so it doesn't matter.
0: It's not free. It's, like, three bucks. But also... I spent, like, the vast majority of my life on the bus. And then, you know, because I was always, well, I didn't know how to drive. I lived in a city, so there's not that much point in driving. I didn't have oh, okay. any money. I was a student, so I was, like, in school, part-time, and then working a bunch of different jobs always. So I yep. would co- I would be on the bus, like, you know, minimum twice a day, if not six times a day. <laughs> Um, and for years and years and years and then once I finally like started not having a job um so like working from home and like doing what I do now whatever that is and then (laughs) who knows and also learned how to drive I was like I am never getting on the bus ever again (laughs) I hate the bus I hate it it's disgusting Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. stressful, and it's disgusting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't needed to be on a bus for a long time because well, I you live. Drive. Don't you drive? Well, I, I I'm 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 out out of town. There's no bus, you know. So
0: Mm-mm.
1: there's just no bus. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah, drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, so you know, I guess I am the bus now. So
0: <laughs> I own the bus.
1: Well, no, I'm I, I, I you know I control the bus, so.
0: Um. What was I going to say? Yeah, I was, I thought that it was, I was telling myself that this Corona thing was just an airborne issue. So that if I just, I thought, I thought I had coronavirus for a little while there. Mm -hmm. So I self-quarantined. I mean, I don't know, but I was just like, well, may as well. Like, I mean, I also was very exhausted and sick, so I didn't particularly want to get out of bed or go anywhere. Um, but I talked to a nurse today, and she told me that I did not have. I have not been. Oh, corona-ed. okay. So you got a
1: test? Okay.
0: No, she told me not to come in for a test. I just told her my symptoms, and she said that okay. wasn't. It wasn't corona. I guess you're, you have to have a fever.
1: Okay. I don't so, know. but I guess what? So you're going to be better though. So you're not dying. For
0: this. <laughs> no, well, okay. This
1: is not the thing that takes out Megan Murphy. <laughs>
0: that would be pathetic. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that because the coronavirus has taken out some people who I'm sure aren't pathetic.
1: No, I mean, but, you, whatever virus you have, airplane virus, I'm
0: almost better. I just still
1: have, like, a bit of a you have the, You're processing yeah. Okay. You know, the thing is, like, because what we have to do, this is the one thing. This is the one thing. We, we get all these antibodies and then we produce all these white blood cells and then we have to, like, get rid of all these white blood cells, which means we have to hack and hack. Why can't we just poop it out? <laughs> why, can't we just, like, why does it have to go through our lungs? We already have this Why does it have to go through our
0: lungs? Like, it's so, like, painful and unproductive. It's and funny. then it's, like, bad for everyone around you also. Because yeah. you're coughing on people and you're out in public spitting all <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I don't mean I'm spitting, but, I mean, that's what they say happens when you cough. It's, like, the droplets and then...
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Expect it.
0: And it's, yeah, it's hard to talk and it's, like... Anyway, I'm yeah. including all this in the video just so you know. Okay, yeah, so we're recording. Yeah, I, I've got an so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is what I people could choose to us. cut
0: it out, but I'm not going to.
1: Wait, this is the first time that I've been on your show, right?
0: Welcome.
1: To the Megan Murphy event. What is this called? What is your, what it's is your brand? It's
0: called The Same
1: Drugs. The Same Drugs.
0: Like, yeah.
1: Is so, that a reference to uh, Sylvia a- Plath?
0: No, it's a reference to a Chance the Rapper song.
1: Okay. (laughs) I'm a big Chance
0: fan. So it's a reference to a Chance the Rapper song, but it's also like a reference to a number of other things, which is sort of like, I don't know, like the zeitgeist, but also like, I mean, the the phenomenon of people thinking the same thing at the same time. And Mm. people, I feel like there's like, uh, mm. a wider social or cultural desire for authenticity and for honest mm-hmm. conversations and to talk about the yeah. things that you and I talk about. Um, and to talk about um, like whatever PC culture, as some might yeah. call it and yeah. um, censoring, censoring debate or yeah, censoring policing, and, policing and, cancel uh,
1: culture. Police the ways in which people stop other people from stepping out of line, which which happens in every group. I just did an interview with an intersex woman who I've interviewed bef- before, Claire Graham. Fabulous woman. And she was responding to a snippet of a video um, that I you know ripped off of Posey Parker's channel where there was a Woman's Day on Women's Day event because it was International Woman's Day. So these women... Uh, arraigned at a uh, UK uh, London park, it's called Speakers Corner, where yeah. everybody can stand on a soapbox or some sort of rickety ten step ladder, yeah, which yeah, is what yeah. they actually is. Yeah, and I just there was this one little snippet that I thought was interesting, where the, one woman stepped out of line and she's she spoke against the narrative.
0: Oh, I watched
1: she, that. You saw that, and she said, and it, I just thought it was interesting not because I believed or, or agreed or disagree, but just to see the instance of somebody in a group uh, calling out the group. I love that. I just love the person, you know, who swims against the school of fish. And, uh, you know, whether you agree or disagree, um, it does, she was raising a lot of issues just within that culture of feminist culture. And feminist culture, this is one thing that, that I would love to explore with you or see explored is feminist culture is not one culture. There's not one feminism. There's a whole lot of different feminisms. I don't think anybody's actually adequately mapped that, but because there is there's this uh, there's a, a kind of a, a strain of policing discourse within feminism that I've seen. Um and I don't mean that derogatorily to individual feminists, but I've seen there's a culture of of keeping other people in line mm-hmm. that obscures the fact that there's so much diversity. There's yeah. so many different cultures within that.
0: I mean, yeah, so I So first of all, yeah, I saw that clip. It was unclear to me as to whether or not this woman was part of the group. I think I looked her up and she called herself like, I I don't know. I think she jokingly called herself like an MRA or something like that. So she might be in opposition to feminism. But either way, I think it's great to hear those kinds of dissenting opinions in feminism and in other kinds of political groups and at rallies and things like that. Um, But I guess I wouldn't say... I wouldn't call it different cultures within feminism, but there's definitely, like, a million different ways that people Mm. understand feminism or define feminism, which has sort of started to make talking about feminism a little less purposeful, and Mm. maybe it's more purposeful to talk about things...
1: I find this
0: on the web for our starting to make talking
1: about Did I say hey Siri? Did I say hey Siri? <laughs> no, did I say hey Siri? <laughs> she misinterpreted you. But you, it sounds like you have I have the I have the uh the I have South the African Irish Siri. I'm turning this I am turning
0: it off. Like I don't even <laughs> fucking use it and like like Did I ask <laughs> Hey guys! <laughs> what are you doing? You,
1: you might have said history. That might have been the trigger word. I don't know.
0: Oh Siri, go away.
1: That that is interesting though. You you said that it because there's so many different interpretations or standpoints within feminism as it, like you know just a array of thought that it makes it less purposeful. Well, what it, do you mean by that? No,
0: less That's purposeful. Less purposeful to. Talk about feminine not not that oh. the feminist movement itself is less purposeful, um, less purposeful to say feminism this feminism that, and more purposeful to just be really specific about what you're talking about. Like, I think that pornography is harmful because, yeah. um, or I think this legislation will harm women because,
1: yeah, yeah, um,
0: I don't think it's purposeless to reference a feminist movement because you know that you know there were certain achievements and certain goals and certain things that women fought for historically um and very specific overt ways women have been oppressed and still are in many places in the world um mm-hmm. But today, I mean, nobody can agree on what that word means. So I don't really know that it's all that helpful. And then we it just was, argue about what it is, yeah. and that's not really yeah. helpful either.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was really fascinating. That clip sparked a whole – that I posted on my on my Twitter. It, it got like uh, – it got a whole bunch of shares and a reasonable amount of likes. So, But it got a whole lot of engagement. And a lot of it devolved into – what what are we even talking about when we talk about f- feminism? What are we talking about when we're talking about trans rights? What are we even talking about here? Which is ultimately what I wanted us to get to, because we're we're yelling at each other, but nobody like we we're so divorced from what we're actually yelling about at certain rungs of all this discourse that's perpetuating that like if if you just if you put the right question out there or if you put the right clip out there, people start to actually. Like genuinely rethink what they're thinking, rather than just performing all this action and reaction and action and reaction and rehashing all these arguments that have been going on for so long, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So, did you find that when you shared that crip clip, you got um, like productive? What?
1: You say crip, so I don't know the
0: crip. <laughs> <It> said... <laughs> Please don't try to do it
1: okay <laughs> sorry okay no appropriation this is an <laughs> no. appropriation wait hold on no your appropri- entire channel <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, this is
0: this is an uh, uh, appropriation inclusive channel <laughs> wait, i just feel like right. if you tried to do that you're going to look like an idiot i'm just trying
1: to protect you from yourself okay. no no there's no protecting me at this point <laughs> if people people follow me people sign up for me they they got to know that this is a fool like <laughs> like i am a fool but you you were asking about
0: so when you yeah. shared that clip did you find that the reactions were like reactive or were they productive like did people react to her like was it a knee jerky you know why is she Protecting men, or why is she using this reality uh rally? I'm sorry, I think this yeah. cold is also in my brain this rally to you know talk about men those kinds of reactions or what yeah
1: it it really highlights again and and it goes back to uh a, a, an offhanded percocet and old fashioned inspired tweet that I made that I got some backlash from, which was just about my life. It's the same pattern that that, that that's not about feminism at all. It just happened with regards to feminists. Most people on Twitter, most people on social media use a statement and either agree or disagree with it. Whether or not the statement itself is something that can be agreed or disagreed with, that reaction, when we talk about reactionary, you're either for or against something. There's so much, there's so many different things in life and in any given discourse or activism that aren't about being for or against something. It's about understanding an issue. Or it's about you know you know with regards to art it's about enjoying or not enjoying it or something like that like there's so many different vectors of relating to an idea or a thought other than agree or disagree and most if not and probably 90% of the reactions to that tweet were either agreeing or disagreeing with it which I wouldn't necessarily say are productive some of that can agreement and disagreement can go into productive conversation. If people are willing to say, actually, I want to understand what we're talking about. I want to learn. I want to go deeper than just spitting out the same arguments that we've been going through over and over and over again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, which is really difficult in, in, in uh, on that particular platform.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I would argue that it's really different, difficult on social media in general because I don't feel that it's really any more productive on Facebook to debate these kinds of things well this this this,
1: insofar as what we're doing right now is social media i do think that there's a lot of promise in this format this format is probably the best format to to showcase other vectors of engagement with other people and with ideas
0: totally yeah i totally agree i mean face-to-face discussion is the best way to do these things so that's why i did actually want to talk about your tweet so i'm glad that you brought it up um, only just because I was curious to know what you meant by it, um, because I did see that there was, like, a big backlash online, because I, I saw people were sharing it on Facebook. <laughs> so obviously, yeah, I didn't weird. see it on Twitter, but I saw people sharing it on Facebook, and so I went and looked it up on Twitter. Like, I obviously can still see Twitter. Um, I just can't yeah. use it. Um Cause I was going to, I wanted to try to figure out what you meant and I kind of didn't totally figure out what you meant, but I'm also like, obviously not. I mean, I like you as a person, so I'm not going to be like, (laughs) what an asshole. And also like, I know that we disagree about things and I know that you're a regressive misogynist. So duh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do <you? Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> but I just was like, you know, I was like, I'm not gonna like pass judgment on this until he explains what he means. I'm sure he yeah, has yeah. something to say about yeah. this. So I never really did totally figure out what you meant. So I'm just gonna yeah. read it for okay. people who may have missed it or have forgotten. Um when I'm close to when I'm close to the woman I find myself relying on her heart to get a sense of the world. When this intimacy is reciprocal, I find her relying on my rationality, proportional judgment to help her gauge the world. This has Mm. just been my experience and not meant to be prescriptive. So what did you mean?
1: Well, you know, it's it's been three weeks since I wrote that. So I see a number of different linguistic errors or linguistic triggers that I laid down there that if I had known that I had the audience that I have right now, I would have not said, I wouldn't have said she helps me and, and that she relies on me. Mm -hmm. Like I think that those more than the rationality or proportional judgment, I think that, that a reciprocal relying on one another, I think is kind of triggering and probably evokes a lot of codependency and, uh, over reliance on another person. Um, I was speaking, or I was just thinking about it. It, it was just, it was a uh, beyond the phrasing. I had a personal. Uh, I, I just had this insight into a friendship that I've been developing for about a year now. I, I have a close relationship, a professional relationship with a woman, and I've seen that that in in the past, I, I've had some very intense emotional states. And, and I went to her and I'm like, what do I do with this emotional state? I'm, I'm overwhelmed by these emotions. And she is particularly masterful at arranging one's relationship to emotions. Like she, she didn't talk me off a cliff or anything like that, but she was able to relate to what I was, help me relate to what I was experiencing in a way where I could actually deal with it rather than have it oppressing me or raining down on me. And then the day that I wrote that tweet, she expressed something that she was feeling about distress in, in her occupation. And I told her a story. And this is what I meant. And it was, it was, it was stupid how I, I phrased it. But I, I told her a story about what she was doing where I took what she's doing and I arranged it in according to – I put it in proportion. I, I put it into a constellation. How do I how do I make that make more sense? I I, I told a story where the way that she's interacting with uh, with the world is actually a part of a bigger system, and 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 so she doesn't need to feel too attached to that distress she's feeling with that one action because she's actually participating in something that she has no control over. Right. And so what I meant by proportional judgment, and it was a really stupid play on words because rationality um, is related to ratio, like like putting something in context, to something else. And and why I received backlash. And this is the first tweet that jumped from Twitter to Facebook, Mm. which was really shocking to me that this this tweet was so powerful that it jumped to another platform. Which was just so weird, and and you weren't. There was several other people that came to me like, "What are you doing over there? That's pissing so many people off, you know." So, so that was kind of like what I was trying to express was like there was a there was a way that I was giving to her that that was different, but kind of paid back her, what she was giving me. Like she she gave me a lot in her emotional relationship to a problem. And what, just one more thing, what when I thought of that tweet, it was because I was. I was thinking about a problem not in my life I was thinking about a problem and the image of her came into my head and and I and I th- I intuitively felt how she would feel about what I was relating to and and I took my feelings and I projected it onto her in order to look at what I was trying to figure out in a different way mm-hmm. and and I noticed that I used her feelings to do that like she she for that moment she embodied my feelings in a way that that was helpful for me. It was just, there was a lot of things I was trying to say and said horribly. Um, but I was trying to pack into a stupid sentence.
0: Yeah. So it was more like about your particular relationship to women or just your particular relationship to this woman,
1: would you say? Well, and I said that in the tweet. I said, this is, this is only my experience. And I, and, and, and I said, and I said something that I think people didn't read at the beginning when I'm close to a woman. And for me, that, that doesn't happen that often. It's a very rare experience for me. I'm not, uh, I'm not, what's the, what's the, what's the word for a guy who's with a whole bunch of women?
0: Like friends or intimate
1: with like close, like, like, like my, my, uh, my threshold. Like you for don't have a lot of
0: close female friends. Is that what you mean?
1: I don't have a lot of close close friends, okay. but I also don't just get intimate with a lot of women. So uh, I, it, I was talking about very specific long term friendships that that that, uh, that I was I, and I was also. This is another level to the tweet. I was talking about slowly getting close to somebody, right? And in the context in the current context, people hook up with each other all the time. And, and there's a lot of relationship, uh, there's a lot of frivolity and intimacy right now um, that, that makes that tweet read bad on that level, too. So there's, that tweet has so many more ways of being read wrong than being read right.
0: Yeah, well, and also because I'm pretty sure that the way that people were reading it and would read it were that, if so you say, when I'm close with a woman, people are going to assume you're talking about a partner or somebody yep. that you're dating. They're not going to think about a friendship. Um, they're, And they're going to think... And obviously they were generalizing. So they were assuming things about your intimate relationships with women or with a woman. Where you're saying, when I'm dating a woman or when I'm in an intimate partnership with a woman, she provides this and I provide this. Which, of course you know, turns into sexist generalizations about what women are good at and what men are good at, i.e. men are stereotypically rational and women are stereotypically emotional. So people are reacting to that. That's mainly what happened.
1: Were they, were they reacting rationally or emotionally?
0: I don't think they were reacting rationally, but (laughs) that's rude.
1: (laughs) It's just a question.
0: I mean, I don't know that men always react rationally on Twitter. No, they don't. To, to tweets. No, either. they don't. Somebody,
1: so. somebody, somebody was so offended that they sent me an article about a man who shot up a donut shop because he he got rejected by a woman. Like, oh, this is how rational yeah, right, men are. Right, right. mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's it's a tough thing because it's sort of like I accept. I mean. I think we've talked about this before. I accept that there are kind of some gender stereotypes that might be, if you generalize true, still ne- they're never going to be true for everyone because people are different. Um, yeah. A lot of those gender stereotypes, you know, I think it would be hard to discern how much has to do with nature versus nurture. Cause I think that socialization and evolution are attached It's really messy. Nature and nurture, like our brains are malleable, you know what I mean? So I don't think it it really necessarily can all be one or the other. I think the rejection of the the idea that there might be some um, characteristics that are gendered is silly. Um, And, you know, uh, so when we talk about things like, you know, women being emotional versus men being rational i do wonder if there is mm. any kind of or what the root of that is um i you know and and the fact that i'm <laughs> so worried i'm gonna start coughing and if we do i'm just gonna have to run away momentarily um i'll just try to have to talk less uh, i'll have to try to talk less <laughs> i'm doing a really bad job at talking so that would be a no good well. idea um <laughs> You know, like that, that I kind of do think has, if it is, if it is at all true, I think a lot of it still does have to do with socialization because men are not, I know this is like an oversimplistic way of explaining this, but men really are not taught to express and share and understand emotions in the same way that women are. So it makes more, it makes sense to me that women mm. in general, not all women would be more attuned to people's emotions and more emotionally intelligent and maybe understand their own emotions better or at least yeah. be able to explain their emotions better whereas men are kind of taught to be more serious and unemotional in terms of their explanations and their ways of dealing with emotional situations
1: okay well, when we say taught it there there is again it's uh it's not necessarily just nature or nurture but there's a what do you want to do with your life, right? And, and insofar as you want to do something with your life, you're going to have to learn the skills that are required to, to do that thing well. So th- what a man desires to do with his life will mold him to have certain characteristics. What a woman desires to do with her life will mold her to have certain characteristics. And th- that's not, pre- I said this specifically in the tweet, it's not prescriptive. We can talk about these things without being prescriptive. You don't have to be this way. But if you see that these people act over and over and over again in this way, generally divided very broadly along sex lines, you might be able to understand more about the nature that is being manifested on the level of sex and then manifests on the level of gender. But what I wanted to get to was that I spent a lot of time at, on, on a preschool playground. I spent a lot of time with three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and one-year-olds, two-year-olds. And when I was working with one-year-olds and two-year-olds, that's a very pre-verbal state. And there is a ton of information that you need to glean from the, the you know, that entity that is under your care. Like this pre-verbal entity is giving you a lot of information that you have to interpret on the level that's pre, not precognitive, but, but, but it, 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 I I don't know the correct term. It it feels intuitive. I had to extend my, my, my emotional range to really pick up on very subtle cues, like twitches of eyes, the way that that the body's moving, all this, all this information that I don't think uh, somebody who's working with computers needs to deal with. Right. So, so I became more and more attuned by being exposed to Neo-verbal and pre-verbal children, that that I think a lot of women, because they end up bearing children, and because you know they're, they're to a certain extent, women are attuned to being able to raise children better than men, or naturally want to raise that. Um, have access to on a natural level that I had to actually purposefully submit myself to and silence myself a lot and learn how to really pay attention mm-hmm. more than just express myself. And, and, and um, it, was a, it was a very deepening learning experience to me. So with regards to that, with, with regards to saying that women are emotional, it's not a negative thing to say that. That is actually right. an incredibly powerful tool to read the room to walk into a room and see everybody's feelings. It could be even very overwhelming to do that. Well, and we then can't you have to, all
0: do that, just so you know. That would be overwhelming. I, I, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, I'm, I, I yeah. see what you're saying. Sorry, but you see
1: what, you what I'm generally do. saying? Like, I, I, I worked, in, at the time that I was working in preschool, it was a 95 to 98% female, you know, industry. Like, that was an industry where I was a very rare uh, male in that. So not only did I have to learn a lot of skill sets that I think that generally speaking, women have access to on a natural level, just generally not saying that you have to have that. If you don't have that, don't feel bad. But also I had to learn how to interact socially with women because I was surrounded by them all the time. And I had to edit my behavior Mm -hmm. and really make sure that I understood that I was communicating in a way where, where Not just women individually, but women in a group, which is a whole other conversation that we haven't gotten to. Like, how do women in a group act versus how do men in a a group act? I had to learn that.
0: Right. So do you, you, you think that there is some kind of innate reason that men are less attuned to other people's emotions, or would you say less empathetic, or what is it?
1: Okay, let's just, let's just tell a story, and this doesn't apply to all men. Let's just tell a story. If, if, if generally speaking, one sex is, due to biology, forced to, to care for a child, mm-hmm. right? due to biology, due to the way that human beings produce young, that the woman, generally speaking, and we're talking about evolutionary time, this is pre-cultural time, the woman has to be with the child constantly. Their, the, her mobility is decreased, but her empathy is increased. She's much more aware of interpersonal cues, but she's she's hobbled. In the world, she's hobbled because she has to care for her brood. generally speaking. The man, insofar as he uh, takes responsibility, or by biology, he is tied to the offspring or his clan that, that has produced the offspring. He isn't tied necessarily to that, to that child, but he needs to go out and get resources. The man needs to go out and, and get... Uh, the, the man will be rewarded, and you could probably make an argument in history. The men who go out and get a good prize, let's just say calories, get the highest calories, get rewarded when they go back, maybe even rewarded with sex, which produces more offspring that act in a certain way. And what would be the highest caloric prize that you could get? It would be uh, like a beehive or it would be meat. And both of those things take the ability to take a huge risk and, and experience a lot of pain and the ability to not care that that animal before you is alive. And, and you shut off the empathy and you kill the thing right you, you shut off your emotions in order to perform that thing that will reward you later on so okay. so generally speaking you could say that the reason why men tend to um, perform a lack of empathy is because they don't get rewarded for being empathetic they get rewarded for results in the world like like you can and even in our culture even if it's sexist to say, you can still see over and over again the men who go out and get the prize, which would be a high-caloric high content of, of money, right, are people who shut off their empathy, but then they're rewarded with a beautiful woman, right? And I'm just – we're just telling stories here. I'm not saying anything about that. But you still get rewarded if you go back, if you go out into the world. You create a lot of resources and you bring it back. And then not only rewarded with, with a, a glitzy wife – but you actually get rewarded with children that you get to love. You can build a family. You can build a very meaningful relationship. Well, you
0: can't love them if you don't have empathy or emotions. <laughs>
1: but you, you, but you also have to shut off that in order to gain a certain amount of resources. Yeah, I see you what you're argue. saying.
0: I mean, it's sort of like it's sort of dark to me. Like I feel like that's like depressing because I mean is it? It, it is. Well, yeah, because how do I relate to somebody who mm-hmm. is able to shut off their feelings? or not feel empathy. Like, that's really painful to be on the other end of, and I think that's a big reason that men and women have such challenges in their relationships is because women are behaving in empathetic ways, and women are, you know, attuned to the emotions of their partner, and they are thinking about their partner's feelings all the time, and then their feelings, and then the feelings of their children and those around them, And then men, I'm speaking in generalizations, but I've had this experience in plenty of relationships with men, are able to kind of just shut off Um, or aren't or I feel that they're not thinking about my feelings. You know, they're behaving in ways that seem totally self-interested or Mm -hmm. they're just totally oblivious to, you know, the fact that what they're doing might be hurtful or painful or whatever um and that sort of makes it hard to to move forward and to have symbiotic relationships or relationships where there's good communication especially especially if there's one person who's not really able to or willing to talk about their feelings at all or talk about your feelings or try to understand your feelings
1: can can i challenge you Mm -hmm. yes
0: sure Please do. <laughs>
1: okay. um, in some of the articles that I've read that you've written, you take a combative stance against your ideological opponent. And it, it, I, you could argue I, I don't have the specific article, but I, I see you have the capacity to shut up your, shut off your empathy towards a certain group of people in order to champion your group of people, right? You're, you're able to turn off your empathy. For your enemy in order for your, your, your side to, to prevail, right?
0: For the purposes of a specific argument in writing. Is that what you mean? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But I, I've seen you perform the ability to switch that off, to switch off caring for a certain segment of, of people.
0: Uh, Okay. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure I agree because I don't think that it's necessarily that I... I mean, are are you talking about recent things that I've written? Because I do feel that I've changed my approach recently in terms of how I would have written something maybe three or five years ago or even a couple years ago more, probably longer, versus how I would write something now. But of course, in writing also things are going to be less empathetic and colder and you're trying to make a point and you're trying to make an argument and it's not really about empathy and I'm not going to spend exactly. hours and hours of words being like, yeah. but, 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 but these people, yeah. and but maybe this, and sorry. And, uh, right, like that's irritating to read.
1: I don't, like, yeah. I mean, I,
0: do, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't, I do have empathy and sympathy for most people in the world, but when you're trying to make a point that's not always what comes and, and, across. And
1: and, and for- my, my my basic point with bringing that up is that it, it it is a useful skill to be able to shut down certain parts of your uh, emotional input okay. in order to get something done okay. to get food to, to fill out your taxes, to, you know, to even do the fucking chores, right? Like, life is filled with things where you can't just be, like, absorbing the uh, emotive I- I- information surrounding you, right?
0: I really hate the dishes. <laughs> this makes me, me feel so bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so the weird thing, like, you brought up something that's very, it, it's not just interesting in, uh, in. In a In a shallow sense it 's probably the most interesting thing in the in the realm of literature is is developing a character who can can go out into the world and deal with situations that need to be dealt with and then come back home and interact with their loved ones in a very deep empathetic way and and that, and, and I was bringing that up because the way that you were drafting interpersonal relationships like trying to find a man who can be with you when you need him there but also not be there and take you somewhere else when it's time to go somewhere else so like or, or just just finding that partner who can you know bring home the bacon but not you know slaughter the the pig in the front room right like, right
0: well to not bring that over rationality and under emotionality (laughs) making things up like bring that into the relationship like but that's what i find that most men can't do most men don't keep their their lack of empathy in the business world Mm. i mean there's no going out and slaughtering animals now so this is all about capitalism and you're right that you're rewarded for bringing home the bacon with power and women yeah. and respect um yeah. anyway. but you know you should be able to behave one way out in the world in a different way in the home or with your friends or with your partner I would maybe not maybe not maybe that's unreal like unreasonable to think that you can switch things on and off like that I mean I guess I do mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, act like a jerk out in the world, but I don't think I act like a jerk to. But you're really fuzzy, roly poly when
1: you're in you're.
0: Eh, sometimes, sometimes not. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to ask all of my ex boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely been called cold before by ex boyfriends. Huh. Like I yeah. have had ex boyfriends who think that I'm too cold and not affectionate enough and not like not needy enough. I don't think that's true and I've been called like the opposite by other men so I don't know I'm, yeah. I'm definitely not needy like I'm not I'm not a needy person in a relationship I, I do know that I'm not like a super whiny I need to be around you all the time and, <laughs> but I think I like a normal amount of love and affection <laughs> <laughs> that, of that.
1: <laughs> what, what one person's normal is another person's excess or drought
0: okay so because i know look, well people always i might i might have told you this in another video but like i always sort of like in a relationship i'm like i want to see you maybe once or twice a week and that's it i don't really have the time or interest to do more than that part of that is because I have a really, really active social life and I have a lot of good friends who I also prioritize and need to make time for. And it's really hard for me to yeah. a, have enough time to do my work, which is also time consuming. Like everyone's work is, it takes up a large chunk of your life. And then on top of that, to deal with all your other life stuff, errands, appointments, blah, blah, blah. And mm. to make time for, for friends. Um, and then to see a partner on to- I mean, that's, yeah, a lot of stuff. So I don't I don't know how other people manage. Like, it's like, do you only <laughs> hang out with your boyfriend and that's all you just go to work and then hang out with your boyfriend six nights? Some people, me, that's,
1: but... some people, that's uh, even too much social contact. You know, it depends, like from one person to another. But one thing that I really enjoy and this. Ser- so I've been doing a series on gender. Um, and I started with trans the transition question, but I, I wanted to explore sexuality and gender. And one thing that I, I keep on coming back to um, that I find really fascinating, or not not fascinating in a shallow sense, but I, I I my heart really opens up when I speak with detransitioned women or or gender non-conforming women. There's something there's something about the the outliers the the gender nonconforming people and and not the people who are putting on like some sort of queer identity as, as an expression, as some sort of magic amulet that protects them in the world or gives them like a cloak to wear in the world. But people who just don't fit in these stereotypes and really seriously don't fit in these stereotypes, people that you look at and you can't even clock, are you a guy? Are you a girl? Like what's going on? Those people, um, they exist outside of this, the, the stereotypes, the, 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 the bell curves of, of male and female, or of masculine and feminine. They, 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 they. If, if, in in my exploration of that, bouncing my ideas and my experience off of them has given me has rewarded me with so much information about the masculine and the feminine from by by some people who don't necessarily adhere to it, and not in an ideological way, not in a political way, but just naturally aren't necessarily feminine or masculine mm-hmm. and they're rare they exist but they're rare and they're, they have something to really give us um and and i think even uh i think that that trans individuals uh, not and not in a political context, context again but but people whose whose mentality and their body ha- has a very deep um there's a deep tension between what they feel and and what they are like a very deep, persistent uh, tension, where they have to struggle with that constantly. They're they're actually, and a, not to denigrate their experience or their, and not to not to roughshod or tread lightly over their suffering, but they are actually examining things on an existential level that we kind of take for granted. It seems being men and women.
0: I yeah. I mean, I guess. With the in terms of the detransitioned women, do you? I mean, aren't most of those young women lesbians? And is a lot of that that you know they're in this sort of gender middle ground or whatever you want to call it because of the hormones and the surgery?
1: Okay, so. There, there there's this there's this there's this small group of individuals who don't exist who don't who who aren't naturally attracted into masculine or feminine roles and a lot of us are naturally attracted into masculine and feminine roles Um, and some people aren't now there is what I think you're, you're pointing out is that there is a lot of detransitioners, specifically females. Um, and they fall under the rapid onset gender dysphoria category, which is still being fleshed out right now. There's, it's still kind of, uh, uh, controversial, whether or not that, that's a thing or not. But there, there is a large number of young females who in clusters start to attach themselves to a trans identity. When it turns out after they mature more as individuals and just, you know, in their life, uh, realized that that trans identity was just a, a coping mechanism for other feelings. And a lot of people who experience, uh, I, the, the number that I've seen repeated over and over again, that's still contested because this is a very contentious issue. About 80% of, of youths who experience gender dysphoria do desist and, bec- and just accept their homosexual. Um, attractions and and understand that, that their attractions are naturally just not the norm, right? So that's a long-winded way of right. Answering. I
0: guess what I'm what I'm so are, what you're talking about is people who experience actual gender dysphoria, body dysmorphia, whatever you want to call it, like these people who are rejecting all gendered. Roles. I mean, because you're saying you're saying like it's hard to even clock them as male or female. But I would I would suspect a lot of that has to do with the lesbianism and the rejection of the feminine Mm. roles that lots of lesbians engage in. And then also the Mm. choice to pre-detransitioning, take some hormones, you know, testosterone and maybe get a mastectomy. Mm
1: -hmm um there, there's there, there's a very complex cluster of individuals who uh, exhibit traits that are not um, that are androgynous or that go against their their uh, how most people in their sex eventually start to express their uh, gender and their sexuality and gender and sexuality are kind of two different things, but, but by sex roles or gender roles, it's not even just about like whether or not somebody wants to fix a car tire or bake a cake. It's about just the way that somebody interacts with an object, the way that they carry themselves. Uh, it's, it's, it's the entire, um, uh, it's the entire complex, uh, stacking of how they, who that person is, and you see, with regards to like a, a butch lesbian, uh, um, has a lot of masculine traits, but is still very much a woman, and and that still it's it it, it it takes a concerted effort in conservative cultures to accept that person because that person is naturally acting in a way that goes against how most females. Manifest their gender, whether or not they are expected or not. It's just just the mannerisms, the way that they walk around. It's it's stuff that's not even policed by culture, it, it, but it it spills out of that category, and it upsets that. And that person, those people, actually give us a, a huge amount of insight into these stereotypes. They're actually those outliers, those exception, those exceptions, actually inform us about the rule. Uh, that that most of us are like even grappling with, but still want to go along with.
0: Well, it's interesting too, because that's an issue that hasn't really been sorted out within feminism. And I don't think it's ever going to be sorted out within feminism because, you know, on one hand, many feminists or radical feminists um, would say that they were gender abolitionists and that there should be no gender at all and get rid of gender entirely but then at the same time are unable to explain the existence of butch lesbians, because a butch lesbian would kind of be defined as a lesbian, a woman who is masculine. So, you know, what is she defining herself as, or what is she presenting herself as, if there's no such thing as as masculinity or femininity, and is that sexist, For a woman to attach herself to masculinity openly and to say, "I'm a butch yeah. lesbian, I'm attaching myself to masculinity. Of course I'm still female, I'm a woman, I'm a lesbian. If you know these stereotypes are non-existent or harmful or whatever, I mean i don't I don't yeah. call myself i don't I'm trying not to call myself anything to be honest, but I don't call myself a gender abolitionist. I just argue against sexist gender stereotypes. Um, and generally say, you know, people should be free to be themselves and to dress how they like and behave how they like, and all women are not one way and all men are not one way. Um, Although, of course, there may be some generalizations within that, and, of course, male bodies and female bodies are different, and male men and women have had different roles throughout history, which has meant that they've evolved differently, and they're socialized differently within society and culture, and all of this has an impact.
1: Well you, you know I understand the war against the stereotype but that that is constantly being broken by by the gut reaction you have to somebody who breaks your expectations. You can say we shouldn't have any expectations for anybody but there, you will constantly have you're like well that person's not acting how they should. You know and and that's not a judgment it's like it's actually what I'm trying to say is that these these these, these exceptions, these people who are exceptional on the level of gender are actually pointing to subconscious rules that are actually buried deep in our biology. And it's actually, it, it's, it, how do you put it? It's, it's a, it's a gift to culture that, that these people exist because they show us, that they, they make us ridiculous. It's like a, it's something that, that gives us the room to actually see ourselves outside of ourselves because they, they show us like the butch le- lesbian really shows a lot. They're giving us a lot of information about male and female in the, in the gender way while still mixing this thing or the very effeminate gay man. Um, is very difficult to for most men to handle um, because it like on an aesthetic level kind of grates against the heterosexual ethos that's buried so deep inside of us and and you if if you label the negative reaction uh, that 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 manly men have against the effeminate men as homophobia you really, you're really covering up something that's really actually much more interesting. It's like, why does this person annoy these other people? Why does the exception annoy the 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 majority it's not It's not just fear it's not disgust it, he's He's showing them something about themselves that that they can't necessarily handle right mm-hmm. um, There's a lot of different ways and and what I'm trying to basically say is that there's a lot of different ways that we can read these these gender roles without necessarily having to abolish gender we can actually look at the exceptions as um as as ways of opening up the the conversation of opening up how we view things and allow us to be a little bit more malleable and a little bit more self-reflexive about these things that are driving us along like why do i want to be attractive to women what 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 is it about women that are that is attractive to me like why do those two things like coexist and end up resulting in children, uh, sometimes, right. You know, like what are these little cultural rules that end up with more biology happening?
0: Right. And I mean, I don't, yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't think that it is necessary to abolish gender and I don't even know that that would be possible. Um, and you know, obviously there's lots of things that are good about femininity and lots of things that are good about masculinity. Like, that's the thing, is it, it isn't all good and bad. It's just that there are some bad things, and when we get super rigid about it, I think that that can be harmful.
1: Yeah. It's, there's the quote that if God didn't exist, man would have to invent him. I don't know who said that, but I really do think that if gender didn't exist, we would end up having to invent it. If, if we abolish it, tomorrow like the next generation is just going to reinvent it all over again there's something about it that is that is really annoying because it 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 boxes us in but but it it's also very fruitful because there's something about it that's very um magnetic and and kinetic and and it brings us together it makes us attracted to one another it makes us hate each other and love each other there's there's so much richness in there there's so many stories that that it gives birth to that the, I, I just, I don't see why you would want to go away with it. I, I, I totally agree that you should wrestle with it constantly, just like you should wrestle with God. And I'm, I'm just a metaphorically wrestle with your existence, wrestle with gender. Don't accept what people tell you about it. But, but if you walk away with it from it, it's just going to smack you in the face somewhere else. You, it's one of those things that you have to run toward rather than away from. And, and it's not a easy thing. It's a messy thing. It, it's constantly there
0: hmm so okay and earlier like you mentioned you wanted to talk about men and women in groups
1: Briefly, that was a, well that yeah that was a really interesting thing like how do men in groups function how do women in groups function and I've, I've been exploring and and i i think it was due to you uh the work that i did with um the wolf panel like mm-hmm. I My my follower count really went up and my, my Facebook account really uh, – I got a lot more attention. Like I, I gained a lot of uh, – a lot more followers and I started to be immersed in a conversation that was really filled with women and women who were interacting mostly with women. I entered into – and I don't mean this negatively but I did enter into an echo chamber. I entered into like the Amazon – you know, peninsula, like I went into a place that very few men go into, or like I surrounded myself with a lot of women. Yeah. Um, And and then that led to me, not, not necessarily like being translated correctly when I started talking about women.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. That's what I was just going to say, which led to your imminent cancellation. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's like, wait, he's not a feminist. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, yeah, I think that people thought that because you were covering this stuff favor, favorably, or they expected you to be in this, Specific box that they wanted you to be in, and yeah, then yeah. almost immediately discovered that you didn't fit within that box. Well, you know, you you know, know.
1: And, and I'm glad. Like, and and people, you know, and okay, I don't mean to make this about myself. I'm talking about like a pattern on social media. It's that people say, Benjamin, why do you only have like so many followers on on YouTube? Like, this is criminally undersubscribed. And I'm like, I don't want a huge account. I want to grow, and then upset a whole lot of people and the people who understand what I really want to do will maintain like so there's these spikes and like uh, of social media like I I want to disappoint you I want to challenge you I'm not an ally and furthermore you don't want a male feminist you want a man who's going to challenge you at the end of the day you're you're not going to respect the man that's just giving you what you want the, the, that's not what women I mean, want. I do not. Women, women don't want. <laughs> I can't want, speak
0: for everyone else. Right?
1: Well, and, and I and certainly the don't that want, I want a man to going Agree with are, me or go along yeah.
0: with everything I say.
1: Yeah.
0: Sorry, go on.
1: No, I'm just saying that I don't want to surround myself with people who expect me to be something. Totally. Because it, once I feel that, I'm going to start. I'm not. I, I won't. I, I refuse to be resentful. So I will betray the cause before it turns into resentment. I will, I will go against the grain before I start feeling resentment. I do not want to get stuck in resentment. I do not want to do that. That, that would be the death of me. I, I, don't even want to, I don't even want to go there. I would rather feel the wrath of a thousand women than to produce product that does nothing but glorify them right? And not challenge them. I don't, I don't want to not challenge you. Like I, that that's inherently, if you think that that's what I'm doing for you, you don't understand what's at stake here because you can't afford, none of us can afford in our echo chambers to be agreed with. We need disagreement. It's not about free speech. It's about, it's about offensive speech. We need to figure out what is offensive in that speech, we need to get out of the fact that rationality offends us. We need to get out of the, out of the fact that, that we can interpret everything as, as you, oh, you're victim-blaming. You're blaming the victim. All these different rigid ways of interpreting data need to be broken for us to go any further than we are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's absolutely essential.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, I I feel the same way. It's like it feels like my nightmare to be trapped in a situation where I'm having to just appease people to the point where I can't say what I really think, or ask the questions I want to ask. And and sometimes I do feel a bit trapped by that. But I feel like I try really hard to push back by being authentic and being honest and you know saying things that might piss off my fan and I have pissed off my fan base numerous times and and it's interesting to see that happen because you can tell that people are really mad at you because they put you kind of on a pedestal or they put you into a category and then they're like they think that they know everything that you think Mm. like they think that they know everything about you and everything about who you are and that they can predict all of your opinions and so when you say something unpredictable they're angry or disappointed or or whatever but i mean and that's something you have to do to ensure that people know that they don't know everything about you and that they can't put you into a box and they're not going to love everything about you and they are going to disagree with you and maybe someday they won't like you anymore at all (laughs) like yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah there's one thing that 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 incident that that tweet um That the experience of that of of that particular backlash, and it wasn't I was not canceled, but I was very strongly disagreed with across different platforms. It it traveled, and and I muted that tweet when that started happening. But for for about four days, I could feel that it it was so weird because I was talking about like emotional intelligence, and I could just feel that attention. It was surrounding me. Like I was walking very carefully through my days. So I was being very quiet and I was just feeling that. It, it was so weird because I can't distance I, – I can't just be somebody who's controversial for controversial's sake. I still care what they think about me. I still care that they were offended. I still care about that uh, even if they misinterpreted. And I'm still like I, – I don't, I don't understand – I I don't understand that aspect of, of, of becoming somebody with a platform in this social realm. How do I maintain the fact that I'm authentic? And and I still take people's seriously. I still take people's reactions seriously. Even if they're wrong, I still feel it and I still give it value. Even if that causes me to lose a lot of productivity and slows me down and causes me to go into a lot of self-reflection and, and still come up with the fact like, no, you guys just misinterpreted me. So, you know, I'll, I'll eventually have to show, prove myself over time. Um, you know, by doing interviews like this and I'd done a couple other interviews just to show like, what, what am I really talking about? But it was just interesting. I'm just trying to bring up the fact that a lot of people can, can just be provocateurs just for the sake of doing that, like sneak into a community just to upset the community. I don't want to do that. I still care about, I care about the project of feminism in a certain respect. Uh, and, and I still don't understand it because there's so many different things that it doesn't make any sense to say what feminism is. I care about women as individuals. I care about women as a class. I deeply – I have a deep tie to them. Like they, A woman built my body, right? And a woman uh, – and, and the women in my life continue to, to make life worth living for me. Like I don't want to denigrate women at all, but I still want to poke holes in – in an ideology I want to poke holes in the orthodoxy I want to I want to cause people to stop for just a minute and rethink their arguments Mm -hmm. right and and I still have a very emotional tie while I I have this intellectual project going on
0: right so do you so um, like do you have what's your problem with feminism
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question
0: (laughs) okay What's your problem with feminism?
1: (laughs) Um, There's different levels. There's, there's uh, op-ed man hating feminism mm -hmm. that you see in like New York times and like, you know, like uh, just write up everyday feminism. Right. Um, There's a lot of things that operate under the umbrella of feminism that I despise and I've always despised. Um, Feminism as a cover for women to correct me. Absolutely hate. And that's what first caused me to hate feminism. The first feminist I knew was when I was supposed to be going to college. It was uh 1990 something, 7 or 8. This woman that I knew um who was the roommate of my girlfriend, um she became a feminist overnight and she just started correcting me on everything. Just constantly like using that to correct me. I'm like, like and in then what when way? I went, like
0: give me an example.
1: Okay. I, I'll give you an example. But then 20 years later when I went to Evergreen, when I actually went to college, like I ran into a feminist, like the same feminist, like this woman who just discovered femi- feminism. And, and it's, it, it's a different version of feminism at this point. It was that I, I, used the wrong pronouns for a male teacher. I called him him. And she, she, for the next 20 minutes, she kept on saying, you use the wrong pronouns. And I just, I just ignored her. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm too old for this shit. You're like we're, we're talking about, I'm trying to tell you how to turn on a projector. So I'm just going to keep on talking about this. She's like, you, you use the wrong, you misgendered him. Like, and and I, I ignored it because you can't engage, right? But I'm like, that attitude of, of this is the badge of I get to tell you what to do. Like, there, there's an aspect of that which is immature fem- feminism. It doesn't deserve the name of feminism, but it's still, it's an attitude that operates under the umbrella of feminism. There's a strain of it that that goes around policing other people's language, which right. is just identity politic, right? Like it's just, it's just identity politic. It, and, and that, that's something on the level of the brand, the, uh, of, of, uh, of marketing that feminism could, could probably fix about itself. Say, we're not here to tell you what to do or what to say. We're here to champion something positive in the world, trying to make things better. We're not here to tell men like the Gillette commercial. We're not here to like explore toxic masculinity. Like, like, like any, any group, any movement whatsoever that, that gets to the level of, of pastiche and cliche, like I despise. And so, you don't have to defend it. You can. You can I'm not
0: please, defending, please. it. I'm just saying that ironically, that that issue of toxic masculinity and that Gillette commercial and as as an example would be an example of feminists trying to get men on side and go easy on men. They wouldn't have seen it. Those mainstream liberal feminists, whatever you want to call them, would see that as being like not all men. Like look at these great men. It's just this oh. subset of these toxic masculine men. This is bad, this is good. Like they don't think that they're being anti-men. They think they're being soft on men. So it's interesting that it would be interpreted in the opposite way. I mean, okay. I don't I don't use that term tos- toxic masculinity. I yeah. think it's silly. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I just wanted to interject and say that.
1: Yeah. And then there's intersectional feminism, which laid uh, postmodern feminism. Uh, acad- okay. Let's just say uh, I have a problem with academic feminism. I think that it tried yeah. to approach the project of the feminine in a very masculine way. It tried to reduce the female into the masculine scholastic mode of understanding things. And it ended up going into postmodernism, started breaking down categories and started a and, and leaked into you can actually probably see that academic f- feminism spread throughout the academy into all these other identity groups that that have now taken over the academy. What what the grievance studies things started you could probably trace it to Marxism and and then and then certain strains of academic fem- feminism. So I, I have a problem with it on an aesthetic level. Um, that the intellectual.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I w- I mean. I would describe my problem with feminism in a different way, but, um, Mm. I mean, I, I, what I sort of am looking for now is I think a more practical feminism. And I think I kind of always have in my work, you know, I wanted to address real issues like violence against women, like prostitution, pornography, more, uh, kind of concrete stuff. Um, that was less of a feel good, we're empowered, look how sexy I am. And me looking sexy and wearing makeup or like Mm. posing provocatively on the internet makes me feel good. And that's what feminism is all about. And then all this nonsense that's happening in gender studies, which isn't applicable to women's real lives at all. And really just alienates women, I think, because they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. And then the really rigid, rules and policing the policing around language you know like my language gets policed by other feminists like other feminists tell me not to say you guys sometimes i'm like whatever like i'm gonna keep saying you guys this does not matter at all Uh, i don't care like
1: can we do a, a a sub note that i've noticed you're trying to like bring back the word retard
0: i yeah as as in like retarded
1: (laughs) i've seen more and more women this is my outing
0: though i wasn't out about it you just outed me that i was (laughs) starting back (laughs) like
1: as soon as you did that like i've seen like a number of different like pretty radical women like starting that's retarded like it's it's coming back in fashion so i
0: know this is the same drugs thing right like we all decided without talking about it with one another that it was time to bring back retarded Cause I've heard other people doing it too. We've all just decided, eh, this is a good word. We're bringing it back.
1: <laughs> it's really impactful. It's like, boom, there you go.
0: <laughs> anyway, but yeah, like that, like the, the going around policing each other, what you're led to think, what you're led to say, what you're led to believe, um, which of course ties into all sorts of areas, including the believe women meme. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that alienates... It doesn't just alienate men. It alienates women because they're like, this isn't realistic. I can't fit within these, you know, rigid parameters. Like, I'm not this perfect person, but I like this thing and I want to do this thing. I'm not allowed to do this thing anymore. Oh, I I shouldn't wear makeup anymore and don't want to look sickly. (laughs) (laughs) like, And... And I mean, to me, the most frustrating thing about it is the, the not being able to have conversations or ask questions that I want to have and I'll ask a question and I'll be admonished and somebody will say, well, clearly you're a fraud or clearly you're not on board with the feminist movement if you would even ask that question or if mm-hmm. you don't automatically believe this narrative um, or you're you're not fully on board with this political action or ideology or or whatever, you know, you Mm. can't be a feminist and it's just like, yeah, it's not going to work. Anyway, I kind of stole your conversation. No, 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 no. there
1: there was one thing you were, there's one thing that I didn't get to and I, I'm not against this part, but this is, this is a big problem that needs to be addressed. Um, And, and I I think I, I could probably say in feminism, it needs to address this problem. There are, there, there's a lot of women with a lot of trauma and feminism sells itself or, or is designed whether by you know Darwinian uh, ways or intentionally designed to give shelter to traumatized women but it doesn't necessarily take their trauma away or give them skills to deal with the trauma it's a way of magnifying one another's trauma and you see that in certain circles specifically on, on Reddit, on the gender critical subreddit every once in a while, there's this swirl of, of trauma think where a lot of women with a lot of trauma, specifically from men who've been traumatized by men get together and they, they, they console themselves, but it never results in actually going beyond it. It's, it's Mm -hmm. psychologically unhealthy and and it's, it's an aspect of every identitarian uh, movement that, that, is really, diff- it, it, you just have to be careful about it. To, to express trauma, it's abs- I'm not saying that you don't express it, I'm not saying that you don't commiserate, but there's a point where the trauma actually is magnified by interacting with other people in a traumatized situation, mm-hmm. and you start feeding on that, and it comes to define you. And all you end up doing on the internet, over and over and over again, is, is bringing up all these different instances of men traumatizing women. And, and you see that the project of, femini- of feminism is so important that you can never criticize it because we're trying to end oppression of women. It's like, no, 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 no. You have to look at these things as individual bases and you have to give yourself a lot of room to breathe and check in with yourself and, and find other outlets. Feminism cannot save you. Like on a spiritual, on an existential level, you need more than just feminism. It's a very great way for you to get together with your sisters. It's a, gra- it's a great way of being politically engaged, but it, it, can't, it it's not big enough for the human. It's not even big enough for women. It, it, it's one way of interacting with the world. It's one set of, of thought and of mm-hmm. behavior that can't come to define you. And I, I just wanted to bring up trauma as a gravity well of trapping people in it. Within, within different feminist discourses
0: well and in, in a lot of cases the, so well yeah so the trauma the trauma and the triggers are politicized in a way that justifies the reaction mm. so anger and lashing out and not mm. engaging but screaming at um, is justified because of the trauma and the triggers and the trauma and the triggers are, you know, in, in this case, men's fault. So it's okay to scream at men. It's okay to say, shut up. I'm talking, you're a man, sit down, shut up. Um, I mean, and I'm also like when I'm saying this, I'm actually picturing, picturing, because I like binge watched all your, your evergreen stuff, um, this week. Those kids, too, who were oh yeah, okay, you know, just shouting and not listening and not even saying anything that really made any sense because they're contradicting themselves all the time in terms of what they want, um, but you know they're oppressed, and so they're triggered by a certain thing, so any reaction that they have and anything they do is justified always and nobody expects anyone else to interact with respect or like adults because they're the oppressed, i.e. the traumatized Mm -hmm. victim. Mm -hmm. Is that Mm -hmm. kind of what you mean?
1: You you need to be... How do you say that? I I feel like I was mansplaining for just a moment there. Probably you you were. (laughs) (laughs) But but I've seen that same behavior. It's that politics isn't going to save you. It's not going to make you free. It's actually, if you're not really careful, it's going to tie you more and more to the suffering of the world. And like you see at Evergreen, and and this is what I want. This is what I said in the video that I made about the Twitter video. It's that if if we want to move the conversation forward, and maybe people don't want it. Move the conversation forward. Maybe feminists want a feminist and anti-feminists want a feminist and the men's rights and the trans rights, they just want to keep at it in infinitely. Maybe that's what punches their buttons and, and floats their boat. Fine. If, if you guys want to keep on doing that, that's fine. But if we want to move forward, we need to understand that these things are tools and that they want to use us more than you know, they will end up using us if we're not very aware of when to put them down and when to interact with each other on a one-to-one basis and stuff. And you see people being overwhelmed. You see somebody like, like you, and, and I think one of the most interesting aspects of you as a, as a character, not as you as an individual, but like you as a character, since we started talking, um, was it a year and a half ago or two years ago? I don't know.
0: I mean, it was probably just after, I was actually going to ask you when you discovered when or came across me, but I think it must've been just after I got kicked off. No. Well, I got, so I got kicked off Twitter in November of 2018. So it would have been just after that probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and what what I was trying to say is that your, your willingness to say, okay, I'm I'm doing this, but I I want to more, I want to be more, I want to do more. I want to interact with things in a different way. And like, and, and that was what, Like I I could sense that in you. I could when I read you and you were fine with talking and when we started to engage, I could sense that willingness to step out of interacting with the world through feminism, though you had thoroughly investigated feminism and you're still a feminist. Like you still you're very well versed in interacting with the world in that way. But you're like, well, okay. Now what? Now what? Now what? Like like that. And I could sense that and and I felt that when when i had you on my channel and everybody was like some people felt betrayed that i was speaking with you and and other people like there was a lot of like rude projection of you on it and like why would you talk to her why would you let her talk to, like that i'm like you guys don't understand this is a this is a person she's going to she's going to be different like you understand this is a this is this is the instance of somebody going from one thing into something more than that without necessarily betraying your core values i don't think that you betray your core values you just grew in a different direction and i just want more people to be able to do that and say look this feminism this men's rights activism it's valid like this trans rights activism let's just say that trans rights activism it's valid to a certain extent There is transphobia. There's, there's a conditions, there's information that we could give, but like, it's such a small box. Aren't you so much more than that? And, and if you would just relax, you could actually be more, but you would have to give up a lot of these things that make you feel powerful. You know, you have to give up on the, the policing other people and, and like forcing people to think this way. Well, It's also hard because if you,
0: you, like you give up on easy answers too. Yeah. Because you've rehearsed these answers for so long and I have experience with this, I think. I I didn't necessarily realize that I was doing it until, you know, a couple years ago. But, you know, I realized that some of the things I was saying, even if they turned out to be true, were still easy answers. Like, I knew how to answer certain questions to the point where I wasn't, you know, really interrogating those answers. And I started to think, you know, like is this enough? Does this answer make sense? Is this answer correct? Does this answer make sense to other people when I say it? You know, if you ask a question and the response is patriarchy or men or misogyny or, you know, white supremacy or homophobia or whatever it is, does what does that tell other people and what does that do in Mm. terms of our ability to find actually good solutions? You know, are people understanding what you're talking about in real life? Like, is this an answer? And for the most part, it's not. Most people, when you say these words are like, okay, but it doesn't register to them in terms of action. Like, Oh, well, what, what should I do about this? What actually is the root of the problem? What are people thinking when they're behaving in racist or sexist ways you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: um but yeah so like i did want to talk to you about all this evergreen stuff and i know this is getting into a really long conversation but <laughs> and i don't know if you're sick of it
1: well can i can i go make another drink and then yeah, yeah, we yeah, do yeah. the evergreen okay. section Great. Is that okay
0: yeah totally because then i can also get more liquid okay yeah
1: let's get our fluids okay. Okay, so what? So you shotgunned the Evergreen documentary?
0: Uh, I watched. What did I get to? I think I got to nine.
1: Okay, all right. What what happened in nine? I have to go through.
0: This nine. like a fucking test.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? I I will design for anybody who's interested. I, I'm I in charge design. of this interview.
0: No. <laughs> Sorry. Now I feel bad. <laughs> You're like... <laughs> it's like, I'm directing this show, not you.
1: I like what Buckley's does to you. Like,
0: <laughs> you've got a lot of power. <laughs> this is not Buckley's. This is just who I am.
1: Oh, is it? Okay.
0: Um, okay, so. My... <laughs> okay, so first of all, were you a student at Evergreen when you started like when all this shit went down at evergreen
1: the shit that went down at evergreen happened two weeks before i graduated i'd been there for four and a half years before that happened okay i've been immersed in it
0: and what were you studying at evergreen
1: i was studying narrative arts which was um I, I wrote about seven novels, or okay, five novels while I was there, and then this is my like my final project, like this big massive tome. It's got like poems and cartoons and plays in it. Wow! And autobiography. This and, is like,
0: very impressive.
1: And it, and it ends with uh, it ends with this uh, this like uh, rewriting of like. The, the book of Genesis, you know, like, like we go to the end of time, the beginning of the time, it goes through all of literature. I just wanted to write a book that takes all of literature and makes it get along with itself. So poetry and fairy tale and, and like modern stories and science fiction, all those different things. I just wanted them all to work. Together, so I found Evergreen. Evergreen's like wide open. You do a lot of self-independent study. You take a course. You do a final project. So every course, I wrote a novel or a novella for while I did all the coursework, and I just produced and I produced. And then my last year there, I went all out and and I created that that novel. Um, and and while I was doing all that, all this other intersectional stuff was just slowly. Uh, absorbing and taking apart everything excellent in Western civilization. It was just like eroding and just taking over everything. I was just watching it. I was like, (laughs) what are you guys doing? What are you doing? Like we, we have infinite awesomeness at our fingertips and you want to bitch about like, like somebody's mean Facebook post. Is this what we're making the pinnacle of culture about like Mm -hmm. race sex all that stuff that i thought like we could have let go of to like actually pursue mastery of art like no like no mastery doesn't matter like that none of that stuff matters my my nemesis in the evergreen story is a character named naima low and she doesn't really come in till later in the series like uh, episode 15 is her peak where i just concentrate on her because she's a media studies professor who indoctrinates okay okay a lot of the key protesters end up studying under her. She ends up—I don't have direct proof, but there's there's circumstantial proof of her like getting her students riled up about Brett Weinstein, controlling different meetings, taking over the campus, making everybody go after the bad people who think the wrong thing by saying that racism isn't the end all be all of the Evergreen experience, right? Um, and and the, the but the thing that most offends me is that she's a media studies professor and if you look at her art it's it's very lacking right and so my in in on a on a level that was the most offensive thing about the evergreen protest to me was that it allowed the the lowest level of human expression to dominate everything else. Just shouting and yelling and hollering and hooting and and denigrating other people and tearing other people down. That became the order of the day. And it goes back to, if you look at Naima's art, it's all about adulating, uh, uh, disharmony. It's all about taking things that are really uncomfortable and and calling them beautiful, it's that postmodern inversion. We can't actually create anything excellent, so we're just gonna pull everything down to our level. And um, in, a way, um, in a way, on the artistic level, I, I went there to perfect my art as somebody who wanted to, to create art, right? I went there to do that, and I saw uh, the people who had power, the people who ended up controlling things called themselves artists, But we're anything but. We're we're using the most stupid things to control everybody else. So uh, on an aesthetic level, the Evergreen documentary is me saying fuck you to all that. Saying I I didn't even want to make movies. I didn't want to do film. You guys handed me all the film. Fine. I'll I'll use all of this against you. I will create the most beautiful, devastating thing possible out Mm -hmm. of the stuff you wanted to do.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean you did such a good job. I can't even imagine how much work it was. I didn't even get through it all,
1: but No, it's a lot of time.
0: It was, it's great. I mean, I just had to go to bed <laughs> eventually. <laughs> but I I do want to finish watching. Yeah. Um so and so yeah, I remember Naima from some of the videos. And so, okay, so did you know Brett Weinstein before all this happened? You didn't? No. And was all this precipitated? I mean, it appears as though what happened was precipitated mainly because of Brett Weinstein's emails. But was there other stuff kind of going on that led up to all this?
1: Um, okay, so... I... The, the common media narrative is that there was this day of absence thing where white people were told not to come to campus. Um, there, uh, and Brett Weinstein wrote an email saying that that's racist and we're not going to do that. I'm going to protest that. And then the students protest him. Uh, that, that is not what happened. Um, th- th- that, happened, but that's not what happened. What happened was that basically what happened was that a Puerto Rican native American kid saw a facebook post by a black kid and the black p- kid wrote that we want to have a mostly black class because uh, about media for a native low class because to to explore the ways in which black bodies have been exploited by american media and then the native american puerto rican student took that same post and replaced black with white saying that we want to do a mostly white class with white people exploring how white people have been exploited by the media. And that was seen as the most offensive thing that you could ever do. That that was a super white supremacist thing. And there was a big Facebook dust up and what what the fallout of that was that the Native American Puerto Rican student was threatened by another black student in the cafeteria and the Native American student went to the police and filed a report, and then the police asked – they asked if the black student wanted to give a report, like his side of the story, and the black student said, yeah, I want to give my side of the story, and took like two hours to get to the police services, so it was really late at night, and then gave the report. And what the, what the protesters said was that the police – took this black student out of his bed in the middle of the night, marched him over to police services and forced him to give a confession and didn't let him use the bathroom and contained him and confined him, which was not at all what happened, but that's what they put out on social media. And then they decided that that was what they were going to use to, to take over the campus and, and to design a whole week long. They're going to go to all these different professors and all these different institutions that have offended them for different reasons, and Brett Weinstein just happened to be the thing that they started off with. And Brett's like, "You guys are idiots." Basically, he was mm-hmm. he, much, much smarter. He engaged with them as much in as much good faith as possible.
0: Good lord! Like, uh, I, I mean, it's like, what do I say? I, I mean, it's just—it was so. It was so interesting and really unfortunate how much of what these kids were saying was just made up, you know. Um yeah. and the desire to be victimized or persecuted. I mean I never I never understand because I have I have experience with this in terms of trans activism, of people just making things up literally out of thin air, either that I've done or said or just that is happening to them, that women are doing to them, you know, things that just are not yeah. true. And it becomes yeah. a dominant narrative really quickly. And I don't get it because I cannot relate to purposefully spreading a lie that, that you know is a lie. <laughs> it's like "Mm, I'm gonna go with this this is gonna get me what I want like that's crazy to go and say this story of you know this this happened to me and I was confined and they wouldn't let Mm -hmm. they dragged me out of bed and they wouldn't let me Mm. use the bathroom like how does that even happen in the first place and then a number of other things that they said um like the students kept claiming that they'd been accosted by the police um they said the police were trying to mace them they said they yeah. had to flee and hide no no from-
1: actually actually they they yell they they yell they're trying to mace us and then the president says wait they're trying to mace you and then they say oh it doesn't matter if they were <laughs> trying to cuz they had mace they had mace on them so it doesn't matter if they're trying to mace us like they, they actually contradict themselves within seconds Right, like the the entire thing is a house of cards. But you have to understand, and this is this is something I haven't released yet. Is probably the, the, the linchpin in all of my research was that a student goes to the next year after the protests in the fall. Well, uh, I have an interview with a student who actually goes to the Naema uh, class. That was advertised. That started the whole thing. Media he goes, works. to the class and, uh, "Media works, right?" And the entire course, Naimalo is not there anymore, but it's the same uh, program. The entire course is about how how documentaries are not true. Nothing is true. This is postmodernism. Nothing is true. It's all narrative. So so you t- speak your truth. So it doesn't matter. These kids have been taught that all of this stuff. These activists have been taught that it doesn't matter if it's true or not. If it gets you what you want, that is what matters. The truth is what you want. The truth is in the future. It's not in the past. The past is a lie. The past is just some some useful tool to get you what you want, right?
0: Okay. So it's not that, so this is like a major thing that I've been trying to figure out is like, why are these people lying? Do they actually believe the lies? Or are, they do, are they lying? Do they know that they're lying, but they're doing it because they think the end result is more important than the truth? But I think that what you're telling me is that there's no such thing as the truth. So it doesn't matter if they lie because the narrative is correct.
1: The ends justify the means is the classic way of putting this. And this is what, what you see at the Evergreen State College. This is what you see if you investigate the way that you're treated, if you investigate the trans rights stuff. And that's distinct. I will, I, will, I will make a distinction between transsexuals and transgender people and trans rights activists. I think that that's a very necessary distinction to make. But the narrative that the activists use is not about truth. It's about power. There is no such thing as truth at all. Therefore, there's no such thing as lies. The only thing that exists is your will and other people's will. It's the most cynical, nihilistic way, and it doesn't – and actually, it doesn't lead to anything that actually persists. It always collapses on itself because it doesn't – it's not built on anything other than shouting. And that's why you have the chance like that, that Toronto, the footage of Toronto, like there's this one girl in the footage of your Toronto library meeting where she's just like, she's not thinking at all. She's just like a body, like yelling, like trans, trans women or women or whatever she is. And like, and then they switch the chant and she's like, Oh yeah. She's just like doing it (laughs) like at a rave and her belly's just like flopping out there, you know? And like, she's a really pathetic creature, but she's just running this program because there's no there's no such thing as truth or reality, there's just the experience like that's the all that matters is that experience.
0: oh man, okay, well, that's like oh wait, I just lost your audio. I can't hear you.
1: though? Hi. Hi. Okay. I had a good line, but I lost it. It was. I, I was saying that it... Yeah, I forgot. I, I put it so perfectly.
0: Damn. That was your last chance to ever say anything perfectly. I'll
1: get another one. <laughs> get another one.
0: So this is... I mean, this is really... That was like kind of mind-blowing to me because I was like, oh, because I've been able... I've been trying to figure out this mystery for some time. But I mean, part of... What I wanted to ask you about all these stories around being, you know, persecuted, abused, oppressed, victimized. Um, you know, these yeah. students also claimed that laws were being broken. One student said that their civil rights were being broken um,
1: because they weren't get yeah because they weren't being fed pizza on time, and so that was a state law. That they weren't giving, they weren't getting their pizza on time. Like these, they, they were so unhinged. Like, like that, yeah. that's one of the the wonderful things about the footage. Like this woman, this young woman saying that that the that George didn't call the army base, which is ninety like like forty minutes away, to escort them four hundred feet because they were feeling so unsafe. But the entire time, they hate the cops but they want the military there for them.
0: And like unsafe from whom, like nothing had happened to them. Like it was, it was so weird to me. I was like, wait, who is making you feel, what are you even talking about? Like nothing has happened to you. Nothing. Everything is fine for you. Because,
1: because they were, they were fed this narrative and this is, this is what I'm trying to show. This is what I'm trying to show is that, that the administration and the faculty are constantly sharing, shedding this narrative onto these very malleable students. A lot of them are probably acting out because they're not getting good grades. And so they're seeing this as a chance to kind of escape from the fact that they haven't been doing their work. So it, this, this is not the brightest of the bunch. But they are being handed this tool of, of systemic oppression that Black people have have always had it the worst off and that any adversity that a black person experiences has to do with historical trauma, generational trauma, the history of America, the the, the professors and the administration are saying the college doesn't even want black students. I have it on film. They don't want you here. Like you're an inconvenience to them. When everything that the college is doing is bending over backwards to give these people as much space as much power as much resources as humanly possible so, so but they're given this narrative that that empowers the worst of them it empowers the worst of them and that is the that is the tragedy of the proge- progressive project is that the progressive project wants to lift up the, the 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 lowest and give the poor and the needy a fighting chance and constantly time and again it's overtaken by narcissists and 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 greedy people and and lazy people time and time and time and time again
0: totally. and and then
1: people who just want to police and control other people and like that like what do you do with that and if you can't convince progressive people that they have to be they have to be really aware with, of this then then they're going to constantly devolve and stop
0: giving so much rope which inevitably ends up being all the rope to the narcissists and the people with desire for power or the traumatized people, the people with mental illness, who are going to take things over and screw things up. Like, so why do you think because obviously, this is this is common uh, across various uh, political causes, activist groups, and it's, you know, common within our, our culture, and you see it online constantly, like, why is there this desire to be victimized? Like, it's, like, there's a desire, like, people who aren't really experiencing oppression or abuse or victimization are claiming to have experienced abuse and victimization and oppression and seem to almost really want it, Um, like, again... I just I'm I am do not want to keep dragging this back to trans activists. Mm-hmm. I just want to mm-hmm. show that it's yeah. not just happening in terms of race. It's exactly. happening in terms of gender and in yeah. a variety of other contexts as well. Um, and it's especially common in terms of young people. It seems to me that twenty mm. year olds do this a lot and in a in a very thoughtless kind of knee jerky way. And they just expect everyone to go along with it. And when people don't go along with it. They yeah. really do feel triggered, I think. They really genuinely feel overwhelmed and don't know what to do with it when people don't respond to them by being like, oh, God, sorry. I suck. Like, you're right. Uh, I apologize. Like, forgive me. Um, yeah.
1: and, and and then politicians do do that.
0: Politicians like, what, what do that. In, and in, and, a lot, in and Toronto, oftentimes older activists do that too. You know, like women do it in feminism, women do it in all sorts of leftist activist groups, like the older people who should be modeling better behavior than that and accountability and, and, you know, like honest adult conversations will cater to these people who um, create drama and make everything about themselves as opposed to the political project. Um, But, uh, you know, like it's, yeah, like it seems to me that there's a, a desire for oppression where it isn't there, and so their focus is you know, on these weird microaggressions, yeah. and all of that. Like, why? So I I think
1: that I think that the the most uh, productive question is a variant of what, what you're asking. What makes people immune to victimhood? What makes people uh, in power say, you know what, fuck you. We're not shutting down our operations because of you. What, what are the qualities that are resistant to this? Because th- that, that's more important than actually figuring out the psychology. Because the psychology of these people, both the people who are enabling them and the people who are acting out as victimhood, it's, it's primordial. It's, it's, it's something that we, we, we look down on. But we look down on for what? Why do we look down on them? Why, why do I not want to be a victim? Why, why do I not want to be in that circular uh, resentment and achievement and blaming like with American politics, which, which isn't true? I think that I need to grow beyond it, but I think that there's a part of Bernie Sanders' message that blames everything on the rich. When that blame is just going to go to white people or just go to heterosexual people, it's that blame that I dislike. It's not the socialist project. It's the blame. So, how do we inoculate people from getting stuck in that cycle, right? What what makes you not want to grow be, uh, What makes you want to grow beyond feminism, or what makes you say, you know, there's certain behaviors in my group that I don't like that I don't want to participate in? Uh, like I wanna branch out like.
0: well, for me, I know that it's because I can tell that it's manipulative, and because mm-hmm. it would be easy for me to say like to anybody that disagrees with me, like there's a card that you can play,
1: okay, but yeah. it's not true, right. so that's well, okay, you know. so so you feel like it like you feel like dishonorable to play that card, like yeah. like there's some sort I feel of like, like no it lacks sense. integrity, yeah, okay,
0: and of course, because I can see that it goes nowhere. Like, I don't want someone to do it to me. I'm not going to let somebody use it on me. So it'd be hypocritical of me for me to do it to them also. But I do feel like it lacks integrity and integrity is important to me.
1: Well, okay. I I think that that there, I was, I was going along the the route of, it just, it doesn't feel right. Integrity, it's not moral, but morality is just a, like a Morality is a truncated version of just working out the game theories. Like if everybody acted this way, what's the result? If I act this way and other people act this way, well, it doesn't go anywhere. And that's where that's where I started getting really pissed off at Evergreen. I would have to go to these seminars and these workshops on on privilege and oppression. And I would have to say – well, they would ask me like, are you – what, what's your relationship to anti-oppression? If you want this job, are you on the anti-oppression thing? Like, I, I just want to work in the writing center. I don't know what helping people with their grammar has to do with oppression, other than the fact that you don't want anybody working on people's grammar because it's oppressive. Because grammar is a part of this oppressive colonial way <laughs> of like. No, seriously, seriously, they're teaching people that grammar, correct grammar, is a is is like some sort of settler colonial version of the patriarchy, right? So never correct people's grammar. What if people want a job then? Like, so if people can't correct their grammar, what if they want a job? So basically you're taking these marginalized people and not letting them get the skills that they need to get ahead in the, in the professional sector because of like settler colonialism, whatever. Like you're actually, the people who are trying to do the best are actually doing the worst. Like like the people who are uh, like these hyper progressive evergreen professors who are trying to like coddle those minorities are actually making the minorities weaker. They're actually giving the minorities bullshit degrees by fudging their 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 test results, saying, "Oh no, you passed. You, you passed because you're black, right?" They they I, I have, and I'm not being racist at all. I have documentation. Of them, of the administration trying to pressure science professors to change the grades on a black student because it was a black student, right? Which would make the science like like so. She be, she becomes a doctor, and then what happens? She fucks up on a pet. She fucks up on a doctor. Like 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 you're trying to make things easier, and the world's not set up to be easy. It's not set up to be easy, and mm-hmm. and so lowering the bars of entry is actually not helping anybody it's you're lowering the the structural integrity of the next bridge. You're lowering the, the procedures of the next operation. You're actually affecting culture negatively. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I also wonder if like a problem with these activist groups, again, including feminism and just speaking of the left kind of broadly, um, is that the opposition to hierarchy Means mm. that there's nobody to um to teach or model yeah good or moral behavior mm. so sort of like the older generation you know the older women the leaders in the feminist movement you know um the the people who might be able to say like hey like you can't just throw a tantrum and get your way um this isn't about you you're acting like a narcissist no we're not we're not gonna do this this is a bad idea and you can't just play whatever card you have
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> they won't do that because that's oppressive oppressive
1: yeah yeah that lim- yeah is it oppressive though
0: I have to pause this to go cough. I'm really sorry. All right, do it. (laughs) Sorry, I'll be right back. Uh, uh, Okay, yeah, like... I mean, so I... I I don't think that it is oppressive. Like, I'm not anti-hierarchy. But I think...
1: Okay, were you ever anti-hierarchy?
0: I probably said I was anti-hierarchy, but I didn't really think about it. Yeah, like, as, like, a young Marxist slash young feminist, I'm sure I did, like, talk a good game against hierarchy. And then, again, in the past couple years or a few years, when I started to think about it more, I was like, no, somebody has to be the leader. Yeah. Some people are good at being leaders and some people are not. Some people don't want to be leaders. Um, power is not inherently a bad thing.
1: No. And but hierarchy is definitely not power. inherently a bad thing. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. Power, power, okay. We have this uh, axiom that it's kind of corruptive, that power corrupts all things. It, it doesn't. Power is just power. Power amplifies whatever it's given. What we do to restrain power is that we create a hierarchy based on some sort of value other than raw power, other than raw strength, other than how higher voice can, get, other how clever than you are. It's based on competence, or in another way of framing things, wisdom. If if you went through feminism and you cut off all of the older women. You're losing so much wisdom. You're losing so much accumulated behavioral understanding of actions and reactions. Like you, you brought up the thing. Like you can't the 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 women who are saying to the other women. Okay, the older women are saying to the younger. Like you can't just scream and get your way. The older women went through that, and maybe. The older woman tried doing that and saw that it only went so far. And maybe it's just a factor of youth that youth has to have some contingent of it, acting like Antifa, breaking windows, like expelling all this excess energy. But the movement as a whole cannot bow to the most un uh, well uninteresting, but the, the most unexperienced. And that's what happens. If you take away hierarchy, all you have... And then it goes back to preschool to me. If, if you take away the adult, all you have is the child and the child's mode of interacting with the world is based on volume and immediacy. The adult's way of interacting with, with the world is through perspective is through seeing how things happen in time and seeing how things happen in space. The child is not imbued with the ability to think beyond what it's feeling. And, and the same thing, the 20 the 22 year old, well uh, you know the 19 year old, let's say, is not able to see the outcomes of its behavior, of their behavior, of her or his behavior. The, the, the 40 year old is starting to accumulate some respect for the 60 year old and the 40 year old's uh, duty, our duty right now, you're not 40, but I'm 40, but whatever, like the, the people 40. who are between, Oh, you are 40. Well, there you go. So, so there's the, there's the elders and the youngers And our job right now, while we're in the middle is to say, listen, I look just young enough for you to respect me younger people. So you need to pay attention a little bit, like, like, like not, we, we need to not give up on the young people. Right. And I think that, that I've been guilty of this by mocking the activists by going after them. And it, it, it's good because it helps my brand and stuff, but, but I, I could do a little bit better with reaching out to the radicals a little bit and saying, and actually I have done this when, when, a, when a radical starts questioning themselves, try to jump on that person, try to jump on the radical, like, like the radical that starts to doubt, try to try to locate that. And that's why the de-transitioned women, not, not on a political level with transition, but just on a, on the political level of gender, like like the the, the the young women who are saying, you know what, maybe all this stuff isn't reality, right? And, and, and going to them and asking them and then opening them up to talk to, to their cohort, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like, again, this is str- strategy. This is manipulation. This is not, we can, we can endlessly go over why people want to be victims. What I want to know is how do we wake people up to a bigger life than victimhood and to say, and and to make them not want to be a victim anymore. Right. Because it's really easy to be a baby, but what makes you not want to be a baby anymore? That's, that's the trick. Right.
0: So what does make you not want to be a baby anymore?
1: Owning things like building things. Like I, I, I made this, I made this thing. This isn't built out of something else. Like I built this thing and it works and other people like it. Or I built this thing and it fails and it fails and it fails and it fails. Like like being inoculated uh, inoculated to failure or, or to adore failure is something that, that takes a lot of time. I don't think you know, that's an easy lesson to learn. But at least trying to inspire like we're in a time where where that hardcore paternal masculinity is not available to us. Like that hard rod of you know like the the, the, uh, the patriarchal god of like, like saying, no, don't do that. We can't do that anymore. We have to be much more clever. We have to be much more persuasive. We have to inspire people to not want to be a baby anymore. We can't just slap them across the face because that will they'll go on social media and say, look, I got slapped across the face, right? So we have to be really, really clever in inspiring people to not want to be babies anymore. And, and ultimately, and I, I say this over and over again, whenever I'm presenting with this question, it goes back to... Instead of platforming a feminist, platform Ma- Megan Murphy. And, look, and and give her the attention to be who she is, right? And and platform a detransitioner. But don't make it about transition. Don't make it about TRAs. Talk to this person with this name and look at them and give them the ability to just like think through things themselves, right? And and to, to actually – the way that you allow a younger kid to be – a uh, to, to mature is to give them – the ability to gain the competence to, to be more responsible. And, and ultimately, a hierarchy based on competence is the most robust hierarchy that there is. Because everybody along, like, like a meritocracy that's built out of people that want to do something cool, is, is going to build a structure, uh, like an institution, of, from the, the people who are least able to the people who are most able, they all want to do the same thing. Which isn't necessarily change the world or in depression, but doing something cool, right? Like I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting this one out of my cells, but <laughs> I, 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 I'm I, not you laughing
0: let... at you. I think you're no, you know, you let me point. go into this. You just were yesterday. like, so all of a sudden,
1: what the fuck am I talking about?
0: Like, never mind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> never mind.
0: I'm an idiot.
1: <laughs> I am an idiot. Don't ever forget that and I'm talking to me.
0: <laughs> so when all this evergreen stuff was going down, we'll wrap this up really soon, I promise. Um were you like were you filming what was going on at all or is this just other people's footage? And you There's compiled pe- it all a while later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um there there were multiple live streams that were done by multiple protesters, actually the protesters <laughs> The protesters filmed themselves and Smart. that was all, on, yeah, it was very clever. They thought they were being so clever. Um, and actually, I, I deeply respect them creating an archive of this behavior because this is one of the most important stories of, of last decade. I totally. really do think it's one of the most important stories. The only piece of uh, actual raw footage that I did other than the interviews with students that I did after the fact was that I – after the protest proper i was in a poetry class my class what my last class and the professor decided that he wanted the black students to express to all the white students what the white students were doing wrong and why the black students felt so harmed and it devolved as you would imagine into another struggle session where the only black students that ended up taking the mic um metaphorically speaking uh, were the most narcissistic, cruel, sadistic people in the room who just wanted to make other people feel shitty about themselves. And I heard one of those people say that the next person, like there there was a quote, the next person who defends Brett Weinstein, I'm going to, sl- I'm going to hit in the fucking face. And I, and I just like took my phone and I press record and I just said, it's just audio. I'm like, okay, let's, let's do this then. If we're going to do this, let's do this. Like, I'm sick of this shit. Like you can't take the project of academia and turn it into some sort of stupid psychodrama. That's what it was. It was just a psychodrama. We're just going to act out our oppression because it makes us feel like all that oppression that we've been studying doesn't matter anymore. Like all the professors, all the administrators who are submitting to this, they bought into this narrative that white people are evil and black people are inherently divine. And so we just need to reverse the roles. It's so sick. It's so disgusting. And they took an academic institution and turned it into some sort of primordial animistic ritual, like some sort of disgusting thing. They, they they completely dis besmirched the entire project of knowledge and truth and the pursuit of real tools that can affect a better way of living in the world. They shit the bed, right?
0: And did you like? Had you tried to kind of challenge any of this as it was happening? So you're sitting in these classrooms, you're seeing all this happen, you're seeing all this like go down with Brett. Like, did you try mm-hmm. to? I'm not. I'm not saying did you try to say anything like did you step up? I'm just curious to know what it was like for people who did try to say, I mean, I I saw what it was like for for people who tried to say something because I know you interviewed some of those students who tried to like stick up for Brad and who supported him or said, you know, just listen to what he has
1: to say. So to be fair, only 5% of the student population were involved And even just the chanting and a very tiny percent of the population were involved in the actual, uh, the egregious acts of the protest, the, the physical assaults, the roaming the the campus with baseball bats, the shouting down the professors. It was a very small minority. The system itself that they had enshrined allowed that minority to speak for the majority. Right. right? When, when the first interaction that I had one, uh, like, like, I watched this stuff happen on an administra- administrative level where I'd sit in these seminars where the uh, the person who gave the seminar on privilege would take all these identity categories and say, who's the most privileged person? And it would be the white, heterosexual, uh, Protestant, middle class, male, cis person, right? And I, w- I, w- I, w- I would sit there and I'm like, this is like Germany. Like, who who's the – who who owns the fault of, of all the oppression? It's the Jewish person. Like it was so disgusting to me. And but I couldn't because in order to work this job, I would have to go to this thing and then like talk about my privilege to the person. Well, what are you privileged about? Like I what do you mean privilege? What why is privilege matter? So I would resist it in little ways and I would I would talk to my to to the people I work to. I'm like, I, I wrote a letter to George. I wrote a letter to the president of the college. And I, I said as explicitly as possible, when you teach everybody that privilege and oppression is the way to read everybody else, and that is all tied to identity, then nobody can interact with anybody one-to-one. Nobody can just be a person to anybody else. Nobody can learn. Nobody can teach. Nobody can do anything other than to assign blame. So I did resist in a little ways, but when it, when, it, when it took over, like a room that I would be in, when the protesters came, you can't really do anything. Like the only, the only thing that I would do is like, you guys are a bunch of idiots. And then they would just yell at me like, okay, like, like you, you read out that gameplay. It's like, there's no way to play that out. Like, like I, I would question when, when I was in that struggle session, I'm like, it was ridiculous because they were, they were screaming at us white people. And I hate thinking this way. I hate thinking in terms of race, but they, they, they divided us according to race and then they would yell at us white people It's like you white people your silence is violence. We want you to speak.
0: And well, I, mean, it sh- say, I mean, it should be pointed out that it wasn't, like you said, it was just a minority of people. So it wasn't like all people of color at the college no. were on side with this. It was just a tiny minority of people. So it wasn't it ran as though no. it was like all the black students versus all the white no. students. It's no, no, just no, not no, what no. was going down no. at all.
1: Not at all. No, no, no. Yeah, but, the, but the people who ended up getting the mic were the very a very small number of very disturbed or very bad actors who have a certain identity. So it it ended up like when I would walk across the campus after the protest and I saw a black person, I got really scared. Like, like I literally started to have prejudice to defend myself based on not no, like, like some stranger, like, Oh, that's a black person. Like, Oh no, did, am I being offensive? Like, I just, I'm just going to walk the other way. Like, like they, they affected the most, racial behavior just on the fact of black people are oppressed and therefore they can just oppress everybody else being subjected to that.
0: Right. And I mean, I suppose that's sort of the reaction now that I have when I'm walking around Vancouver and I encounter somebody who's like transsexual is I have to question whether or not that person hates me and might punch me <laughs> Yeah. because of like, cause I don't think most Trans, I've said this a million times is that most trans identified people are not involved in trans activism and don't hate women and don't hate feminists and aren't trying to take away our rights and aren't violent and unhinged and aren't sending me death threats. That's a like really tiny minority of yeah. of people. But because of what's happened to me and how these people have behaved yeah. to me now, if I'm walking down the street in my neighborhood and I see someone who's obviously, trans identified i have to be worried about whether or not they're going to do something to me because of the way that these people have threatened me and behaved
1: yeah yeah Um, so it completely it completely backfires
0: yeah and so i okay and i did want to ask you one more thing before we wrap up because i thought it was interesting and it's sort of related to what we were talking about earlier, which is that... Okay, so at the end of the video, you made a video about the Seattle event, the Wolf event in Seattle. Um, And at the end of the video, you made a really interesting observation about the difference between a question asked by a conservative woman, a right-wing woman, and trying to remember how she identified herself... Um, I think right wing anyway, whatever. And then a young woman, a young black woman, um, who asked a question about racism and feminism.
1: Yeah. Or, or representation and and Mm -hmm. racial representation and feminism. Okay. And this can be
0: applied in all sorts of contexts.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the, 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 and this is this is what I'm trying to make. Like, there's a compromise between. But tell me what uh, you
0: said first, or tell like yeah. the audience what you said in case it, people didn't. Okay, see
1: so it. so what what happened in that footage, which I thought was really interesting, was that you had uh, a black lesbian woman um, who came up and asked a p- question about the panel about racial representation, and what do you what are you what are you doing to include black women? Because that's the most important thing. In, in with regards to this movement is how are you going to include my identity into it um, which was weird because there was already somebody who brought up race already so it was already like one quarter well, Saba, of the panel
0: Saba was Saba had spoken to um, race a, yeah. a bunch in
1: the movement and, and she was represented right there like a woman of color was literally one quarter of the panel which is 25% which is um, basically numerically on par with uh, uh, the United States, basically. So it, it was just, it, it was, but she was expected to say that. And you guys were expected to answer. That's something that I point out. It's like, there it was an expected answer. It was it was a script. Like everybody was working on the script. Like, uh, why aren't you, why aren't you representing me? Like, we want to represent you. Like, it was just a virtue signal, the whole thing. It, there was no substance. And then you had, a woman who was definitely Latino, or, or uh, but she was a woman of color. I don't like thinking in these terms. I don't like thinking in those terms. But I'm just saying that there was a woman of color and then a, a white woman, and they both identified as conservative. And they both asked or posed questions, how, how can we help you? How can we change to help you? Because we don't agree in all these things, but we agree on this one issue let's just say giving hormones and surgeries to young women we don't want that to happen to to, to adolescents we want to help you how can we change and and the way that i framed it was that when is the left going to return to the jfk model of ask not what the activism will do for you ask what you can do for the activism how do you and that is the most empowering thing Is not how am I going to get resources from the government? How is the government going to 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 make me feel secure and, and to boost me up and, and to pay for my Medicare? And, and there's a lot of work that we could do as a collective to take care of ourselves and to take, take care of our like just our healthcare in America. There's a lot of work. I'm not denying that at all. But the attitude of what can I demand from other people versus how can I serve my community is so distinct and it's worlds apart and, it, and it's more empowering to say, I am a woman and I want to make sure that other women fit in this world than to ascribe to an ideology. I'm trying to turn this into what we were talking about. I'm not doing a good job about feminism, the, that victim stance, whatever makes you feel weaker and more dependent is something to be rejected. And whatever makes you feel more empowered and not empowered in a false sense, but empowered in a true sense, empowered in that you are making a dent in the world. You're creating something in the world rather than – how do you quantify that? There, there, when, when you have such a surplus of self that you can say, how can I serve you? Like, like, like how can I serve you? Like, that's when your strength, that's when you're, you're showing that you actually have resources is when, when you're going in the world and, and saying, how can I help you rather than how can you help me? Like, d- <laughs> I, I'm really bad at finishing my thoughts. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I just, I
0: only I'm only laughing because you just all of a sudden, you're like, okay. okay. <laughs>
1: I'm waiting for you to interrupt me so we can go to the next level.
0: <laughs> Sorry, maybe I should have interrupted you. Maybe I need to learn to be more assertive.
1: You know, read my cues. I'm giving you all these cues.
0: <laughs> See, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> as. I'm not as attuned as as you might think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you are like a half a bottle. What's it called? Bragg. Oh no, heart <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, Buckley's. Buckley's.
1: <laughs> my Buckley's.
0: <laughs> and I just had more cough medicine when I had my cough break there and then my, my whiskey and my water. I mean, we probably should wrap up soon if we want anyone to actually watch this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know what they're getting into. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I mean, I, I sort of like the documentary that you made about Evergreen was so compelling that it made me wonder, although it sounds like you did a little bit, if you, you know, plan to do, like, a follow-up, like, where are they now? Like, I guess part of what I wondered was, I wonder if any of these students feel ashamed. I wonder if these students feel embarrassed and regretful and ashamed. I mean, you're right. to Like, I think you're actually way softer on these people than I am because my approach to all this, like, student activism and this this nonsense that's going on in the sjw world whatever you want to call it is really often mockery because it's ridiculous and these people are so entitled and privileged clearly like um you know like i i see it coming from college campuses so often and it's like eh, you're often these kids are white not always but you know they're often middle class they're often upper class they're university educated they're living in the west like they don't really they aren't experiencing oppression like but anyway and so so anyway that is to say that i make fun of them but you're sort of more understanding and you're right that they're really young and they've been taught this and they kind of think this is what they're supposed to be doing but i wonder what they think now in the aftermath The, the
1: the the problem that i'm having with i a few months ago, I'm like, I want to actually understand feminism and I want to understand it in the way where I understand how individual women make sense of it and how it helps them. And so I, have I've started to like go into feminist areas and interview feminists, like self-identified feminists or whatever you want to call it. And the, the comments that I have are very negative like there's a lot of negativity where people mock feminists they're like you guys think that you have it so bad like do you understand how good you guys have it as western women do you understand how far society has bent over backwards i'm not saying this myself but the comments are are the same mockery as we give those students and 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 trying to resist that trying to slow things down to say what is salvageable from the progressive project what is salvageable from anti-racism what's salvageable from feminism that can be assembled into some sort of uh, critique that is operative that that translates into minute beneficial action on a societal level that eases the pain of the members of the society or helps the members of society get along better with each other like the, the outliers are always going to take the prize unless we actively fight against them. So let Evergreen be an example, not of the way that the kids acted, but the way that the, the professors and the administrators taught the kids to act that way. And may the outliers of feminism, may the outliers of trans rights activism, may the outliers of gender ideology be a testament to the bad parts of the ideas, but not capture the entire project of learning how to live in an incredibly complex world with very limited brains, with very limited ability to parse all this information and all these people who have experiences that I've never experienced. And right. to like really gain empathy to, to the experience of women. Like I really just wanna pour in my in my research in feminism, like I don't want to understand the ideas. I want to like forge some sort of empathy with why those ideas matter to women. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like just try to build inroads to connecting with people as individuals rather than markers of an identity or, or, or a belief system or an ideology. Right.
0: Right. Alrighty then. Oh, is that, <laughs> that's it? You're that done. Was... Okay. That <laughs> Thanks is... for coming oh. on my show. Thanks, Megan. What's it called again? Thank you for joining me on The Same Drugs with Megan Murphy. I'm Megan
1: Murphy. And I'm Benjamin Boyce. And do you have a podcast version of this? And where can it be found?
0: <sighs> I haven't set up the podcast yet. I keep meeting to. Really people easy. keep asking, and I feel bad huh? because I know that it's much more difficult to watch things on YouTube than it is to listen. I mean, I hardly watch anything on YouTube Yeah. because I can't uh, be I bother can... to stare at a screen for that long.
1: Once you uh, turn off the recorder, I'll tell you how to set up the uh, podcast. It's really, 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 really easy. Okay, thank you.
0: I'll turn off the recording. Um, Bye. Thanks for tuning in. If you managed to make it this far through (laughs) all of Benjamin's...
1: Ben-splaining.
0: (laughs) Ben-splaining. I don't see sex. I only see Ben sorry i know oh, you don't like to be called ben <laughs> that's well, not did that simple. come off wrong now we're like this is devolved into something people are gonna be like oh god i don't you see
1: guy. sex i see ben like what does that really mean, that
0: really mean. <laughs> no yeah okay jesus christ End. okay bye. done bye say bye to everyone
1: bye